Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the human energy structure. This will be my second interview with Desta Zuckerman, who is the author of Your Sacred Anatomy, an Owner's Guide to the Human Energy Structure. Desta is also the founder of the Sacred Anatomy Academy, and this is as I mentioned, my second interview with her, we're going to go into greater depth. So for viewers who have not yet watched the first interview, I'm linking to it now. It's You'll find the link in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, and I recommend that you view that interview first. And now, Desda, welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you once again, Desda. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's a delight to be back and to continue talking to you. We had such a blast the last time. I'm really excited about today. Well, I'm, I'm excited to go into greater depth with you and, uh, cause there's so much detail in, in your work. It's, it's really quite amazing. Uh, I'm under the impression it's almost as if you're able to adjust your consciousness to see things either very, very big, like 50 feet out beyond the the human body, or very small, almost microscopic. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really astute observation. I, generally speaking, see what's right around people as they are in a space. But if I want to actually see their entire energy structure, which is a very large structure, most people, when say they're standing in an open field, you'd be able to see 20 feet above, 20 feet below, 20 feet to the left and right, and 20 feet before and behind them. So people are surrounded by energy. And this energy in an ideal shape might be an egg, but everybody's a little bit different. You know, some people look like triangles and some people look like amoebas. And so people look very different, but I try to kind of look at people in an idealized form so that we can standardize the information for people. Because if everything is constantly shifting and changing, which is what it is in energy, it's hard to explain it. So, yeah, I can see things really big. And when I look at somebody, I can look at the whole structure. That's some of the gift that I have. And I'm also able to dial in and to look way inside the physical body and even look inside organs. When you describe, for example, the chakras, you talk about valves and intakes and outtakes and little hooks and tendrils and all, all sorts of, I guess you'd have to call them sub-organisms of chakras, for example. Right. Well, chakras are, have a series of gateways and the energy that enters the chakra, the incoming, what I call the incoming soul pathway is relatively generic energy. So it's say it's entering the heart chakra. It'll come in and it isn't until it passes through a second gate. So there's a first gate as it organizes and then it comes in and then there's a second gateway called the lesser gate. And at the lesser gate, it enters into the front of the chakra. And then it goes through a greater gate, which is at the core, passes through the core, comes out of the core into another greater gate, and then exits through the lesser gate after it's been in a chamber. So there are chambers, there are nodes within the chambers, there's a whole sort of donut construction around chakras, and then there's the exiting chakra stream, which has been informed by the core. So... I've actually been more interested in how things work than I have been in the psycho-spiritual dynamic of what, because uh, there's a lot of writing on that. And I'm mostly interested in, like, how did this all come about? And what was it that was the impetus for the formation of a heart chakra, for example? And in my system, there are 13 chakras. So I'm working with chakras above the physical body and below the physical body as well. 
the chakras that are below the physical body, like if I'm standing on the earth somewhere, the chakra is actually underground. Right. Well, there's one chakra that's kind of hanging in between your ankles. It's, it's right there. It's in the emotional layer. And it just sort of hangs there. It's suspended. And it's attached to the physical body. But it has great elasticity. So it can the physical body can move in any of the many dimensional ways that we do. And then below, 18 to 24 inches below your feet, is another chakra called the axis chakra. The one between the ankles is called the lunar. And then below is the axis. And the axis is fascinating because it's if you're standing just on the dirt, it's 24 inches below your feet. So it's in the earth. But your structure is also in the earth. So it's really in your structure and not in the earth, so to speak. And then below that, almost another 15 feet, <clears throat> more like 16 feet, is the uh, big chakra called the Chi Pool. And the Chi Pool is a very unusual and interesting chakra that does different things and has a different uh, purpose than some of the other chakras, although it does have very similar anatomy. Well, this is getting uh, obviously very complicated, and I can well imagine that some of our viewers, uh, already their heads are spinning with with this information, and they're wondering, you know, how how can you verify it? Now, I know that from our previous discussion that you use something called the edge process and that uh, your students, uh, when they achieve this state of consciousness of, of moving their awareness to the edge, they all seem to have uh, consistent reports of, of what they're seeing. So I, I think it would be very useful to talk more about what the edge is and how the edge process works. Well, the edge practice is fascinating because it's, it really is a practice. It's something you need to work at to get good at. But once you accomplish this, what you're able to do is actually incorporate the sacred anatomy into your consciousness so that at the edge of your sacred anatomy, way out, 20 feet all around, you're able to place your awareness there. And that awareness is expansive. It's, it's, I call it edge 360. So it's all around and all around. And this conscious awareness is expanded. So it, it gives you a greater capacity to interact with life. And inside of your conscious awareness, is all of the sacred anatomy, which contains the entire history of your soul's evolutionary process. So we're not just the product of ego and personality and hopefully a little spiritual development. No, we're the pros possible, prospective, wonderful, dramatic, dynamic result of many lifetimes and a long journey as a soul. And every single person on this planet would fall into that category. And every single person on this planet has a soul's purpose that is driving them to accomplish. We have an orientation that takes us forward in life and gives us the opportunity to make a concerted effort and difference, not just in this lifetime, but consistently over many, many lifetimes. But I want to step back to your... uh question really about how do we get consistent results and how does this wild anatomy make sense to people? Well, first of all, not everybody can see like I do. And we just start there. We know that that's not going to be possible. But what most everybody has is some sensate capacity that they've developed in their life. Many people are able to hear energy. Some people can smell it. And a lot of people can feel it. They can feel the intensity of an energetic interaction. So everybody has something they've already started to develop. When people end up hanging around me for a few years, they inevitably start being able to see more. But one of the things is that I don't, I'm not chauvinistic about which uh, sensate skill is the best. I don't think that there is one that's better than another. 
And so I take the vantage point that information and knowledge is the basis for where we begin. And then we learn how to interact with energy. So that's what the edge practice does is it actually gives us a how to as opposed to a what. So what is something that's different and different for everyone because you may have become a Reiki master or you may be an acupuncturist or you may be a, a, a physics professor. And so your what is different, but the how can be consistent. And this is uh, the thing that really sets my work apart is that there's a very consistent way that we interact with other people, other places and other things. And so doing everything from energy work to working very specifically within sort of a, a almost ritualized and stylized way to interact with specific anatomy for specific purposes is is pretty extraordinary and we get consistent results because we're all using the edge well i imagine that if i were to place my awareness at the edge of my energy structure uh, that in order to reach the edge some 20 feet out from my skin roughly um I would go through the layers that you describe, all of the layers. Uh, uh, so by the time I'm aware of my edge, I'm also aware of these layers and many of the other structures that are inside. You know, there are seven systems in, in my uh, sacred anatomy. So the first one is the layers, and that's like the energetic organs. So you can walk through the bio layer, the emotional layer, the primal layer, the mental layer, etc. Or you can expand and become awake to the edge through your template, which is the energetic nervous system. So it understands and controls the expansion and contraction feature of the sacred anatomy. Or you can get there through the blended energy system, which is the chakra system, and kind of like a cardiovascular system. Man, there's even a pulse, you know? And it's incredible how the whole thing works together. So it's it's got this cardiovascular capacity. Then there's the bones of light, which is the sacred anatomy energy that supports us. And you actually could think of it as subtle matter, as not just subtle energy, but subtle matter. And that subtle matter is denser. It's more of a support system. And then we move to the elimination system, which is huge, huge. And it allows us to release attachment and let go of things that are blocking our soul's purpose for moving forward. So debris and excess and waste and all that. It's very important to let go of so that we can really get down to the nitty gritty. And then there's the electromagnetic field and the human electromagnetic field is kind of, it's in some ways it's the most interesting because it, it actually is a bridge. So it's a bridge between the subtle and the sacred and the material world. So the electromagnetic field is a completely reactive system that reacts to the physicality and then conveys that information from the sacred into the physical. So it's, it's a pretty extraordinary system. And then the final one is very much like a kind of chemical system because it's called the harmonizing network. And the difference in the sacred anatomy is that the harmonizing network is frequencies, which is sound. So there's a whole sound system that is actually the glue that holds the subtle anatomy together. So that's, that's a thumbnail sketch for you. And in addition to all of that, I gather there there's the whole issue of how we connect with other people, that our energy structures can merge or attach to each other, or we can extend like practically like wires or uh, telephone connections. And so when I think of the human energy system personally, I, I don't think that it just ends at 20, 50, or 30, or 50 feet out from the body. To me, the human energy system might extend to infinity. Well, I think that there's probably parts of it that go out that far. Like, for example, the core. The core is at your very center, this divine and sacred part of you. There really isn't a beginning or an end. It's just like locational, like here's where I am. Um, 
but it has this quality of sort of an eternal. And if you've ever heard of the web of Indra, this is, this would be part of the web of Indra. The channel and the core are the crossing points that the, the bead or the jewel of human, human structure is, is being held on. So those have this eternal quality. And then there is a way that, um, there's a, uh, a way that the electromagnetic field will reach out and beyond, kind of like if you have a flashlight, you shine it up at the sky and then you turn it off. Well, the light keeps going. The light's continuing. So it's the same with our electromagnetic field. The light keeps going and we are light and we keep going. So there's a way that it does keep going, but the actual anatomy and the actual part of us that is functional, usable and interactable that's a little tighter in and has a little more structure to it. Which I guess that's why you emphasize the edge so much. And uh, when you talk about the edge, it's not just a, a simple membrane. It's full of uh, various hooks and, and protrusions, and uh, almost like the skin itself with little hairs sticking out everywhere that are sensitive. It, it, it's really, really similar to the skin. And we have villi that are at the edge of the sacred anatomy. And the edge is really incredibly potent and powerful. But the villi are the part of the nervous system that are reaching out into the universe for energy and information. Because the source is constantly expressing, and we are really at the uh, effect of the source. So as the source is delivering and giving and and sort of expanding, we just simply say yes or no. And so it's the villi that are essentially the little the little attractors, and then there are receptor sites below that that are part of the. So there, one is part of the nervous system and the other is part of the bones of light. So these little receptors that are kind of telling the villi what to ask for and it goes on like that. There's so much, it's so detailed, you know. It's Of course, we'll be showing many of the illustrations in uh, the course of our discussion so people will have more of a, a graphic sense of what you're referring to. Otherwise, if it's just words uh, about something that most people don't see it it's kind of hard to grasp yeah well that's the thing um, that's why we did so many graphics you know for years and years and years 45 years i've been drawing pictures and what i realized i was a, a musician for a long time and i played for lots and lots and lots of people and so i had the opportunity to observe lots of people and observe their energy structures and they were very consistent Although they were somewhat different and unique, they were, they all had the same stuff. And so I began to draw the consistent picture. Like, what does everybody have? What are the pieces that everybody has? And so that's what my book is. My book is, what are the pieces that everybody has? And uh, then it's a catalog of that. And um, so I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what each little thing does and I've used a lot of different ways to do that. Um, certainly meditation and prayer has been a big part of my journey. And, um, but for, for years, I resolved things in my dreams. So I would, I would think about something. I'd think about it and think about it and think about it. And then I go to sleep. And when I woke up, I'd know what it did. And so I would write that down and then I would test it out because I didn't just take a dream as fact, you know, I thought for me, it was important. And I think it's my personality that absolutely has to know that this is so. And so I, I keep asking questions and testing one against the other until uh, we had a body of evidence that was uh, useful. And, um, and of course, there could be more done, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> but uh, for me, it was, a, it was good enough. And so I went with it. And then I began to interact with these uh, energetic structures. And I begin to find that People had, for example, in the layers, people would have things called karmic wounds. And these wounds would lodge in a particular place. And where the wounds would lodge 
Well, there was a whole bunch of information, uh, and it came from where it was lodged. So where it was lodged made a big difference. Like, okay, so you've heard of Louise Hay's wonderful work about, you know, where in the body something is aching or hurting. There's an, a message for you in that spot. Well, I took this one step further and realized that if there was a location in the sacred anatomy where something was lodged, the actual anatomical place would give us information about that issue. And so we started to really build that lexicon. And after 10,000 sessions, you know, I've got a fairly good grasp of what that is. I know in your book you have 20 pages of uh, glossary just defining all the terms that, that you work with. So it, it really is a, I have to call it a very technical approach that you've developed. Now, I know in our previous discussion, we focused, uh, we started, as I recall, our conversation talking about the core, that sort of vertical channel uh, that extends almost, as, as we discussed earlier, infinitely up and down. Uh, but what we didn't talk about, and I think it may be equally important, is what you just mentioned, and you call it the channel that is sort of perpendicular to the core. Yeah, exactly. So the core and the channel are made of the same stuff. They just do different jobs. So the core's job is essentially to anchor us in space. And it has this capacity to... uh be above and below. It, it has a vertebral column that keeps it upright. It has a, a core sheath that's around it. It has uh, the capacity to release individuated currents of energy because the core is a triple current downward flowing stream and it has triple currents. So the three currents release single streams of light. And those single streams of light form the sacred anatomy, ultimately. But what allows them to do that is the power of the channel that crosses the core. And so you have a thing called the Grand Cross, which is this... And, and imagine this is 200,000 years ago before your soul's structure had come into being. And it was it's just being formed. So first there's the core... And then the channel crosses it. And when that occurs, they're both elements of the I am. So they are both divine consciousness. Think in terms of a massive explosion of awareness that we could call the universe becoming self-aware. And in the moment of universal self-awareness, there's an explosion and sparks are flying. And these little sparks that fly out are elements of the core and channel that become that eventually. But when they first start out, all they are is I am consciousness, the divine. I am, I am, I exist, I am. And they're flying and flying and flying through space. And at some point, these elements cross each other. And when that happens... There is a moment of reckoning where one must be I am and one must be I am not. And then it is in that moment of distinction and of self-selection that that the, the structure begins because it's in that moment that self-awareness can occur. When I am and I am not come together, all of a sudden there is an I am. And that I am is the small I and the small am, and that would be the individuated soul. So when that occurs, the structure spits out, the core spits out these beautiful streams of individuated light, and it starts to form the very first thing. It starts to form the soul layer. And the soul layer is actually the energy tank that fuels the whole thing. Everything comes out of that. So those are individuated currents and they're swirling. So you can imagine the triple current downward moving stream and the triple current crossing stream 
Both are made of the function blue current, the purpose red current, and the gold wisdom current. And as these currents spin out in individuated shapes, they're creating this soul layer, which is this big tank. And it's part of the layer system. And it's, uh, it is, in fact, what makes the edge begin. So it's the very beginning of the, you know, this is the cosmology of sacred anatomy as I understand it. And most of that, I have to say, came to me in visions. So I, this is a divinely inspired idea, if you will. And, um, and yet I feel like it has deep historical significance for my soul's evolution and that I've been carrying this information for thousands of years. So I feel like this, oh, this is the time. This is the time when it's, here we are. You know, this is the great awakening. We're ready to open our eyes and say, what? Oh, yes, I think I will say that I'm divine. And so in that moment, in that awakening that the human species is undergoing right now, and probably will for the next hundreds of years, I think, that awakening is to be aware of who you truly are. And the sacred anatomy is a step on that journey. Well, coming back to the edge process, uh, are, are there some steps involved in moving one's awareness out some 20 feet or so beyond the skin? Yes. In fact, that's the, that's the whole thing. There are five steps. So the class that I teach is called the edge practice, five steps to powerful energy boundaries. And that's because you will have that. So the first step is embody presence. And it's a whole exercise that I do with people to support them to bring their spirit into their physicality. Because most of us have not had the initiatory experience of embodying our own spirits. And when that occurs, it's a life changer. So that's step one. And step two is a grounding practice I call drop anchor, which is actually dropping a tail down from the base of your spine and having it anchor into your own sacred anatomy into the chi pool, which is way down 20 feet below your feet. And that is the place where we anchor ourselves. And in doing so, we ground into our own structures, even though that may be in the earth Technically, it's in your structure. And if you were to leave the earth and get on an airplane, you're still grounded. So there's step two. Step three is sort of focusing on your electromagnetic field and being aware that there's this kind of stretchy part of yourself and you want it to stay contained. You don't really want it stretching because you want to go to the edge of the sacred anatomy, not the edge of the electromagnetic field, which is different kind of energy. So you have within you an electromagnetic energetic field, and then you have the sacred anatomy energetic field. And these two are very distinctly different things. Electromagnetic fields die when you die. When your physical body dies, it's gone, but the rest of you remains. And so the next step after becoming awake and aware to your electromagnetic field and focusing it focusing the containment of that electromagnetic field and the sensate reality of it, you then go to the edge. And I take people to the edge in this thing I call the Edge 360, which is going all the way to the edge, tracking the channel, and all the way to the edge, tracking the core. So you move out on both lines, and it's actually not as hard as you would think. And you get to the edge. And then you pop through and you're kind of in the float of the universal. Oh, I'm not somewhere. I'm floating. And then you come back and there's an anchoring that occurs. There's a, a way that you attain the edge. And then the last step, I have people set their intention to stay there. But the way I do it is I have them pull the doubting monkey mind out of their heads. So I have a whole exercise of how to move the monkey mind out and set it over here and Treat it as a part of you, but not as the driving, focusing, guiding part. As the part that can hold your intention. Because, you know, your mind really can do no more than one thing at a time. And so we give the mind the job, and then the spirit is free to exist as it truly is meant to be, which is as the authentic nature. I am under the impression that your work isn't just about... Uh, teaching people uh, sacred anatomy, that ultimately 
the, the people who go through your process become healers. Am, am I correct? Yeah, well, I have a whole healing system, sacred anatomy, uh, energy medicine, and that's a system that I've developed over the last 40 years, and it's based exclusively on the sacred anatomy, but it's it's got principles that it's based on, and the 10 overriding principles of sacred anatomy are... Um, you know, they're really energy working principles, but they're the principles of using subtle energy and how we can do that, that um, we apply to the work. And then it is a healing system that people learn. But more than that, they learn the ethics of energy work, which is something that um, is, I think is really missing in many trainings, unfortunately, and people don't realize Actually, they don't believe that energy medicine is a real thing. And so they sort of do it like, well, let me send you energy, when in fact, you need to have someone's permission. And so there are some ethics that are involved, and I teach that as well, which is really an important part of my work. So the ethics of subtle interactions and subtle energy work, the fact that people need to give you permission to do things with them, the fact that you are not doing something to them, but that you're working in partnership with them, your divine consciousness working with their divine consciousness, and in doing so, evoking the totality of all creation. So there's a, a profound way that um, I apply the sacred anatomy to this greater possibility, which is to really help people step into their power and pick up their mantle and take it on and live their life in a powerful way. Uh, there's a wonderful story in your book about one of your students who uh, felt that they would never be a healer, that really they're just a person who needs healing. And they kept coming back and coming back, but eventually they went through a transformation. And I think you even wrote that now you rely on that person for healing yourself. Yeah. Well, and, and it's true. She had a, she had sort of an aversion to the idea that she had that talent and she didn't feel anything. When she started working with me, she didn't feel a thing, you know? So we would bring in an energy and she'd say, I, I just don't, I, you guys all feel it, but I, I don't. I guess I just don't feel those things. So what we, what I did eventually with her is her template, which is the nervous system, had been really traumatized in childhood. And she had had some negative childhood experiences and her template had contracted and it was in a kind of contracted nervous state. And so I supported the release of the template and then I kind of rebuilt the frayed ends, the frayed nervous system. And I worked, this is one of the things you can do in sacred anatomy, energy medicine, you can rebuild things. So I rebuilt her template and within minutes of having done that, she said, I can feel, I can feel it. I can feel everything. <laughs> and so then after that, then she started to really take off as a healer, which of course she was, you know, and she just sort of stepped into it. And um, the exciting thing really is that she has continued to pursue that line of work for a very long time now, over 15 years. So it's been been really lovely to see her grow and mature and just become a phenomenal healer. Very, very interesting. I think it's a useful lesson for all of our viewers. Uh, occasionally I hear from viewers who, who say, you know, all of your guests are talking about experiences I've never had. How do I know that they're real? I, I tend to doubt them because I never had them. Yeah, well, and I think they should. I think doubting is one of the best things we've got. I mean, we human beings have the capacity to doubt. We can say, I don't know. I have to prove that for myself. And that's the thing I say over and over again to people is don't believe a doggone thing I say. Go out and prove it for yourself. Try it. Let me explain what I do and then try it. And I just, I find that people learn better when they're the ones who are inventing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, your system 
it's it's very unique. It's very detailed, and I suppose uh, the tendency would be for a lot of students who come to you to want to be just like you rather than want to be just like themselves. Yeah, well, that's one of the first things I have to disavow. <laughs> it's like, don't be me. It's not that much fun. <laughs> no, you look like you're having a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, okay. The truth is out. I really have a great time. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I, I, and I'm having a great time with you, too. Uh, your, your energy is just fabulous. So... Uh, that that's really clear. I'm sure all of our viewers will get that right away. Um, but one of the unique things that, in your system that I've never seen anywhere else is that you talk about, if I understand it correctly, uh, you talk about reflective chakras. That for every uh, each of the thirteen chakras in your system, uh, there's a reflective chakra as well, like a double the normal number is, am I correct? Not quite. You're close. Close, but no cigar, as Groucho used to say. But what, what it <laughs> is, we have 13 major chakras, and those are crossing streams that hit the core and, and move across this way. But then, in the electromagnetic field, there are 10 reflective chakras. So there are three chakras that are not in the electromagnetic field and aren't contained in it, so they don't have those. But <clears throat> there are ten chakras in the electromagnetic field, and they look like spinning rosettes. So there are two that spin out from the front, and, and then they spin like this and move out in a kind of a cornucopia shape. And the same thing happens at the real, the rear. There's a, a vortex that's formed and moves around to the back. And then it spins out like that in a kind of rosette shape. So one, um, one vortex is spinning this way. The other vortex is spinning this way. And so this is what it looks like. It has that, that constant swirling uh, rosette shape. And that is probably what most people see as chakras. So they're spinning wheels and they're spinning wheels that are going out and getting larger as they, as they leave the energy structure. So those are electromagnetic in nature. But here's how they're formed, and this is the ultimate cool, okay? So the way they're formed is the crossover connectivity between subtle and material. So the interior chakra, the major chakra, is a subtle energy chakra. It's very interior. It's held. Information is at the core, and it exists much longer than any of the reflective chakras would. But the way that the reflective chakras are determined is that the major chakras at insolment, so that is at the birth or the beginning of a new life, a baby is being is conceived and is in utero. And the whole time there's this little golden cord that goes uh, down to the down to the uh, baby inside the mother's uterus. But the subtle anatomy, the giant subtle anatomy, is at the edge of the mother's field, her energy structure. And just a few hours or a few days before birth, that big field ensouls and connects with the little physical body. And the mother just can't go on being pregnant. She has to give birth. It's that moment when women feel like they're you know, a whale, and they just can't stand it any longer. It's because this baby's soul has entered, and the soul body is much bigger than the little physicality. And so it comes in, it ensouls, and all 13 chakras are activated with the physicality, and the 10 that are related to the electromagnetic field, which, by the way, has been with the baby inside the mother, those activate because there are little connectors in the major chakras that hook into the physical body. 
So there's this hooking in experience that happens. And when the hooking in happens, there's a moment of revelation. And it's right at the edge of the major chakra. And it it explodes in two vortices out to the front and two vortices out to the back. And that creates the spinning wheels of what I would think of as the reflective chakras. So there's 10 of those. Very complex, but if I heard your description correctly, um, it sounded as if you were saying if a woman should miscarry or have an abortion prior to the, the termination or, or the end of the pregnancy, prior to birth, that the insolment uh, hadn't taken place. Sometimes that's true, um, and sometimes that's not true. Sometimes a miscarriage happens because insolment is premature, and and the the mother can, simply can't hold the pregnancy. Um, sometimes, um, when women have abortions, they can speak to the soul of the baby and they can explain, you know, this this pregnancy will be terminated. I don't want to harm you. Can you disconnect? And that I've seen lots and lots of women do. It's actually good to know that a woman can do that and that she doesn't have to, she's not killing a soul. You know, it's not like a terrible burden that she's going to bury, bear on her and scar her soul forever and ever. I think it's important for people to understand that abortion, even as awful as it is and as no one ever wants to have an abortion, but when it it does occur, it can be done in a very humane way and a very loving way. And the being, the spirit, the soul can wait until it's a more opportune time for a body. And they will. I've seen that happen over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you refer to the intersection of the core and the channel. And, and as I recall, you, you point out that that intersection can occur in, in, in various places, actually in the physical body. It could be at the heart level. It could be between the heart and the solar plexus. And that that makes a difference. Yeah, well, it's generally speaking in our culture, the intersection is in the, you know, in the pelvis. It's a little below the belly button. That in our culture, that's where it is because we're a will culture. Everything is about getting what we want, making it happen in the world. When um, I had the uh, experience of looking at uh, pictures in National Geographic of tribes in the Amazon that were undiscovered and then discovered, they had their uh, crossing point, their Grand Cross, was actually at the heart. And the, these particular tribes people were a very simple tribe, but they were a very loving tribe. And that was an interesting thing to observe. But I've seen channels anywhere, be- anywhere between the, that place and the other. And it seems to have something to do with the ability to uh, access the heart and the spirit of love, you know. Um, when I watched His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, do the Medicine Buddha teachings and empowerment, I watched him come in and sit down um, with his with his channel dropped down into the, into the pelvis, which is where a functioning leader of a community would need it in this culture. And then as he began the teachings and sort of the, the spirit took him, if you will, the channel moved up and into his heart and the space was filled with his energy. It was quite interesting to see how big his structure got. It, it was hundreds of feet across. And his heart was wide open and the, that he did the heart sutra teachings first and then medicine Buddha empowerment. It was absolutely stunning to watch somebody operate from that place with such, um, skill. Truly. I am imagining as, as you're speaking that I could kind of, uh, adjust my consciousness by sort of visualizing the channel moving to different levels. Well, you know, my experience has been that it isn't really a, it isn't really something that you can visualize happening. It's not really something that you can just go, Hey, today I feel like moving it up to my heart. 
It's actually something that happens because you're ready for it to happen. And this is a lot about the sacred anatomy. The sacred anatomy is essentially your textbook. And it will tell us everything we need to know about you. And it's very, very centric to your experience and your needs. And so when we track the evolution of your soul's journey, and when we look at the places where pathologies have developed, we can see where there's been breakdowns and stops, and the channel may move up as a result of work, but almost everybody's channel is down, and it's because we need it there to be able to function in this culture. It's a, it's kind of a cultural thing. I mean, other cultures, as you mentioned, these uh, Amazon natives uh, are very different. Well, yeah, but I mean, I so far have, the only time I've really seen a lot of uh, heart channel crossings is pictures of um, people who are living very, very far away from culture. People who are living like, you know, high in the mountains and like in Bhutan, I've seen quite a few hearts and, and uh, you, but you know, the, the Tibetans have been through so much. It's, it's the rare individual who maintains that. I was lucky enough to be able to be in the presence of the Taratulka, the old Taratulka before he died. And then now there's a new Taratulka who's younger but um, the old Taratoko was a very enlightened being, and his. I walked around a corner, and he was sitting in meditation, and I got to see his 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 entire structure sort of opening in a kind of a lotus, and uh, this extraordinary organization of the soul layer, which is usually very chaotic and swirling, uh, red, yellow, and blue. And in him, it was it was organized like a rainbow, just all around him. You know, it was, it was, it was astonishing. And he was in the heart. The channel was in the heart. So I think it has to do with enlightenment and levels of development and awakening and, uh, really spiritual attainment, if you will. Um, gosh, who else have I seen with, with that? Uh, I know, I, I remember seeing Desmond Tutu give a talk one time on TV and his heart was, his channel was in his heart during the talk, but when it was over, it dropped. You know, it was like, so when we're doing this brilliant stuff, you know, in our lives and we're really fulfilling, maybe the channel does move up for that. It's, it's something I'm studying, you know, it's, it's a long, long term study. It's a project. <laughs> Well, we're on uh, video right now. We're recording this conversation, and it will go out over the Internet. It will be available for people for years. Uh, how is our energy field affected, or energy structure, as you call it, affected? Let's say if somebody three or four years from now is watching this video, and uh, they're being touched by the conversation, and uh is there an energetic connection that crosses time? Oh yeah. And and space. I mean somebody somebody halfway across the world is probably watching this video five, ten years from now. Well, there's a transmission that occurs, I know, when I talk about this work because it's my soul's calling. It is a thing I'm meant to do. And so when I do that, there's an energetic transmission that's occurring. There's a frequency that's being held. It's just like when we read the words of uh, the Gettysburg Address. You know, there's a frequency that we feel, even just in reading the words when we hear Franklin Delano Roosevelt give some of his extraordinary addresses during World War II or, or, um, or Winston Churchill for that matter, there's, there's a frequency, an energy that occurs when you hear that information and it hits you. And that's the same thing that people will 
five years from now, if they're watching this video, they will feel the energetic frequency of what it is that you and I are talking about. And they'll feel in you, they'll feel all the years of knowledge that you have built up and the incredible study that you've done and the weight and the authority that you speak with. And they'll feel the same with me because I've also done that. So there's a quality of um, authority that people speak with, but there's also the subtler energetic transmission of spirit. And I think that that's uh, very palpable. I know when uh, I listen to uh, speeches or writings of great people, I, I feel their energy. I feel their transmission. And, you know, we can still feel the transmissions of the Buddha in some of his sutras. You know, we still like, feel them, feel him and feel the energy of that. And in the words of the Christ, you know, we feel that transmission. So why we believe in these beings? Because we so deeply feel what it is that they're speaking to. This energy transmission, is that different from the human energy structure that you write about? Um, I think it is in that um, I think that there's a way that that uh, an awakened structure, which mine is an awakened structure. I've done a lot of work on all the different parts of my structure. So I'm awake to it. I'm aware of what the different systems do. I've had a conversation with the different systems. I'm interacting with them. And then I'm using right now the edge of the sacred anatomy to interact with. So there's a way that I'm in connection with you as a whole being, as an authentic being. And then the four aspects of my authentic self, the voice and the spirit and the, and the, really the ears and eyes and, and consciousness of my sacred anatomy is really my authentic spirit, my authentic nature, my authentic self. And the personality that I have I've spent years peeling away the layers of my personality so that I can be allowed to be my authentic self. So I think that that's really the goal that we're here to manifest as our totality and not just this persona. Desda Zuckerman, once again, what a, a delightful conversation. Uh, I uh, love talking with you, and I hope to have many more before we're done. Thank you so much for being with me. Oh, gosh, Jeffrey, what a treat it is to talk to somebody who thinks as deeply as you do. And my God, you read my book. I'm so grateful to you for having done that. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who didn't even crack it open. And you've read it. Thank you, dear. And thank you so much for your good work in the world. Kudos and congratulations. May you be so heard and loved and just cared for. Thank you, Nesta. Thank you. And same to you. And I want to encourage our viewers to take a look at your book. It is one of the most fascinating books I've ever seen. Thank you.